Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is Ryan, one of your hosts, and today we have episode 96, which is an interview with Liss and Murata Tesh of The Athletic. They talk about the Jets offseason, draft, and look forward to next season, which is expected to get underway in January. We have lots of content lined up right now, so expect more episodes to be released in the near future with the season getting closer. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I am joined by a special guest, Murat Atesh, today. I am so pumped uh, to have Murat here. We haven't had him on the podcast in probably eight or nine months. A lot has happened since then, so Murat, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I too am pumped. Awesome. Yeah. So what have you been up to in the past couple months, weeks, whatever? Not a lot of uh, current hockey to be talking about necessarily, but have you been sort of keeping busy during this odd time? <laughs> um, yeah, definitely been keeping busy. The, the crazy thing is there's still stories to tell and there's stories that that maybe take a little bit longer to work on that I get to kind of sink my teeth into now. I'm gonna interrupt just so I don't scoop myself. When when is this when is this episode going live? When when are people listening to you and me right now? What day is this? Okay, today is December 10th, but when will this be released? Only time will tell. <laughs> Only time will tell. Okay, so I won't give away any any crazy secrets. But I, I've been talking to people who Jess fans will care about, and I'm doing my best to tell kind of deeper, longer stories um that you know during the crazy hectic rush of a season you're just not able to do. Um and I love I love the deep dives into a person's life and, you know, what uh, what's going on for them, what they really think and feel about things. So that's good. Um, I also ate up some time by concussing myself on a car door by accident. So that 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 ate up a couple of weeks of pandemic. Um, and then there was the dog fostering. Those are my three chapters for you. Those are my three chapters. Interesting. Yeah. Well, some more exciting than others by the time. <laughs> so. um, but no, that's good. The car door, really. Yeah, it was a it was a terrible. I'm gonna mime this for you. People aren't gonna uh, be able to tell when they're listening. But I was leaving my car. I dropped a coffee cup that looked exactly like this one. I bent over to pick the thing up, and the the car door swung with the force of gravity. I caught the edge of like the edge of the car door on my forehead, and we've got my hair swooped in front of it. But I'm actually building a little lightning bolt scar right about there, mm-hmm. um, and it's it slipped me open. It was a whole scene. It was great. Um, but my brain works again and we're back to talking hockey, uh, in any way, shape or form. Excellent. So we are glad to have you back. It was (laughs) dark days on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so yeah, you've written a couple articles in the past, uh, couple days, weeks, whatever, since you've been back a couple of more interactive ones that sort of take uh, some fan input and we can talk about those as well as other articles like the one you had on the expansion draft, uh, the Q&A that you had today. Um, yeah, because we're recording this, like I said, on the 10th and Murat had a Q&A session this afternoon for about an hour um, where we talked about all kinds of different things, all the stuff we normally talk about, other stuff that maybe you hadn't thought of, didn't remember necessarily. So lots of good stuff on there today. Uh, a little promo. Go subscribe to The Athletic if you want to read it. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah, so why don't we sort of dive into this um, this fan survey that you had recently, because I feel like that's a big one that some people who listen to us probably submitted their answers to it. So um, any right off the bat thoughts about that kind of thing? Um, a lot of passion, a lot of fury, a lot of, uh, a lot of hot takes, and a lot of support. It was... 
it was cool that that was released. Like the the survey went out. I, it was November thirtieth, and it was my first day back after um, after the concussion that I just mentioned. It was kind of like, hey guys, I'm back. Um, not only do you have to talk about me and welcome me back and and read this thing that I've just put out for you and participate in it, but everything that you've been thinking about without an avenue in the comment section for a couple of weeks, let's just talk about it. So. You know, there's Cole Perfetti. How good is he going to be? Is he Shifley-esque? Better or worse? Um, how's Paul Maurice doing? What should the lines really be? Should Neil Pionk be on the point on the power play? Who do you want to protect in the expansion draft? Like, we did everything. And I think it was just under 1,000 people. It was nine-something um, that went into it. The takes were varied. They were intense. And, uh, and like, I still have material from that that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Great. Yeah, I, I imagine that that could be helpful for days weeks to come there's probably lots of input there I know when I personally read the article by the time I got to the end I was like I feel like we kind of touched all the bases here like it was a lot of you know kind of management players organization fans everything in there so it was it was good I'm trying to think of some of the results questions whatever that kind of took me by surprise or maybe that took you by surprise what were some of the more interesting points that got brought up yeah, I'll go with biggest surprise for me. I don't know if I don't know how you feel. Maybe it'll make perfect sense to you. But I was surprised that in picking Winnipeg's expansion draft list, Winnipeg was more ready to expose Jack Roslovic than Adam Lowry, who doesn't have a contract for next year. That one kind of makes some sense to me. I can we can get into why that makes sense. But also Jansen Harkins, who's just brand new to the NHL at the exact same age as Jack Roslovic is, doesn't have the pedigree. So Wheeler, Shifley, Connor, Line 8, Ehlers, no-brainers. Andrew Kopp, most people want to protect him. They see kind of a special thing there. And then with the seventh person, um, I think people like Lowry because his skill isn't really duplicated elsewhere on the roster, right? Like Roslovic, there's a better skilled forward than him. Adam Lowry, there's nobody else who plays like he does. And I thought that I thought a young 23-year-old like Roslovic who has a, a lot of potential would be protected over a 27-year-old without a contract. Jess fans, no, Lowry is more important, but then Harkins too. And Harkins is on the way up in terms of people's perception in a huge way. I love the way he plays. I just didn't think that people would be looking at him as like the, the future as opposed to Jack Roslovic. Totally, yeah. And I think we had an episode a while ago where one of our guys, Adam, said something that was kind of, it was interesting to me. He's like, I don't know why or when we as Jets fans decided that Jack Roslovic has cancer and he needs to be gone, which I feel like is kind of true. People sort of treat him as an expendable whatever, and they're like, oh, they lump him into their trade predictions or whatever. And yeah, I agree. It's kind of an interesting, why is that? I don't know. But I think Adam Lowry has kind of maybe won over some of the people, especially with his dad now being hired. I wonder if they're like, he's staying put kind of thing. I don't know if that has any effect or if people just really love him. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He's, he's kind of got the nice guy who sticks up for his teammates thing going down. Um, I guess the, the big hits are definitely lovable for fans a lot of the time, too. I, I honestly, as I wrote in my expansion draft piece uh, earlier this week as well, as much as I harp on the fact he doesn't currently have a contract, um, I really believe everyone I talk to in the Jets organization, from Paul Maurice to the equipment staff, say that Adam Lowry... Uh, is a first-class human being, treats everybody the best possible way. He's leadership material. They, they love the guy. So I can't shake the idea that, yeah, you know what, there's going to be a contract extension and that they're going to find a way to protect him, whether with that seven slot or with the side deal with Seattle. But if you're him and you just saw Brandon Tanev get paid, you saw Andrew Kopp get a raise, 
Tanev, of course, is an unrestricted free agent, which Adam Lowry is, and Adam Lowry is a center and the better player, in my opinion. You might be thinking, like, hey, there's there's a market out there that I can get more from what Winnipeg is able to do. So until that extension gets signed, uh, I, I'm just not sure that I can promise that Adam Lowry is back for, for another year. That's very fair. So you personally, if you had to protect your seven forwards, who are your seven forwards? Yeah, um, for me, Cop is my sixth. The mm-hmm. the elite forwards, Shifley Wheeler, Ehlers, Line A, Connor, uh, those are the other five. And for me, I do think that I just, I believe in Jack Roslevic's long-term potential. If he is a Winnipeg Jet come expansion draft day, he would be the guy that I picked. If he is not, because I do think that the Win- Winnipeg has, they have like tried to shop him. Um, there, if there is a deal of some kind, then then it goes down to Lowry and Harkins, depending on contract situation. I choose the younger guy, probably. Um, I would probably choose Jansen Harkins. Uh, but what I think I would really try to do if I were Winnipeg would be to keep them both. You know, I don't think Harkins is going to be a front of mind in, in Seattle's. Uh, list, you know, he's too young and too new to the league. So I think the protection slot goes to Lowry and you hope you can walk away with Johnson Harkins all the same. Right. I think that's fair. And this might be a bit of a dumb question. We'll see. How does it work with protecting guys who have a full no move clause? You have to protect Blake Wheeler still, right? Even though he has a no move. That's right. You need his permission to not protect him, I believe. Like it's my understanding. I'm actually not even sure if that's true. It's uh, this is how rusty we are in December. It's been so long. But yeah, it's my understanding. You have to protect him. That much is true. Can you get his permission to not protect him? I'm not as sure. That I would I'd need to go back to Vegas's draft for, for precedence on that. So I'm assuming, and I think it is safe to think that Blake Wheeler is a mortal lock as one of the protected players. Right. Are you saying are you saying that it might be wise to move on from the veteran? That's a three hour, four parter episode for another day that involves our special friend AJ. But um no, I don't think it's the person you expose. I was just wondering if you can sort of skirt around some rules in that way with someone who doesn't, who has a no move and you don't have to protect them, but they're also still not going to leave because they have a no move. I don't know how it works. <laughs> For sure. If it's a full, full no move, it's my understanding you have to protect them. That much is true. And then the no trades, no worries there at all. Interesting. Okay. I just like conspiring for fun to see. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are all, um, what's nice about the expansion draft, right, is that it's only guys who have a bit of experience and you don't have to worry about any of your young guns um, that we've talked about a bit in your um, in your fan survey and your other articles about top Jets prospects right now. Um, I know I, for one, for fun, in your fan survey when you said who is the Jets' best prospect, I put Billy Anola. I know it's cool for Fetty, but I am so excited about some of these young guys and the future they have. Um, let's touch on that a little bit. Some of those fun guys, where do they fit? What's uh, life going to be like for them in the Jets organization? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will never argue with somebody who thinks that Billy Hanela is a top prospect. Um, and we were talking before you're following European hockey right now. 14 points in 19 games. That's good offensive production. He didn't have that after he went home from Winnipeg last year. He was kind of looking for a spot to fit in in, in Liga with, with Luka Rama. And... Um, he wasn't getting prime minutes. Now he's playing top four minutes. He's putting up offense. He's playing in all situations. He's not on the top power play, but he's playing power play time. Um, he's played some PK time as well. Like I say, the offense is there. The minutes are there. 
And the possession numbers are there too. Like when Billy Hanel is on the ice, his team plays in the other end of the rink because he's that good at moving the puck. And I think everything that you could want from his development this year is happening. So much so that honestly, I think it would be just fine, assuming that that season, the Finland season, is able to restart in January. I think it would be just fine, even though I rate him above, say, Dylan Sandberg or Winnipeg's other defensive prospects, if Billy Hanel continue to play out the season in Finland. It is a perfect scenario. He doesn't need to worry about the AHL or other leagues or what's happening. He's got a great spot and, and a team that's really loving using him as well. Um, so, so yeah, nothing but love for the, for that player for sure. Totally, yeah. And that's one thing you don't want to do is rush your defenseman either. And I think that's kind of the Josh Morrissey saga as you look at how well he was developed. And then by the time he was a full-time NHL player, he had the experience and he had um, a, no, a good partner and lots of uh, experience already. So that's good. And I love hearing encouraging things about defensemen in our organization. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. At any but, level. Uh, at any level, yeah. <laughs> Um, but then what about Sandberg? I'm not super familiar with uh, the college system. I don't know what um, their plan is to have a season this year where Dylan Sandberg's plans are. Do you know much about that? So Dylan Sandberg won't be playing in college. He's, he's done with that no matter, you know, COVID, no COVID, whatever the situation is there. Um, and so his options are essentially the Winnipeg Jets or the Manitoba Moose. Depending on who you talk to, and I've, I've talked to scouts, I've talked to, to reporters who covered him daily, I've talked to scouts inside the organization and far away from it as well. You get really wide range of opinions on how ready Dylan Sandberg is. He's a big man. He's a tall tower of a man. He can, um, at, at his age as well, he's further along than, than Villahanela would be. And instead of being that like really, you know, Villahanela is a smaller player. It's, it's really all about his, his brain and his puck movement. Sandberg can do a little bit of everything. He's big enough to shut down plays that way. He can, he's aggressive enough to stop plays in, in the neutral zone with his skating and by stepping up at the right time. He can move the puck pretty well. It's not like he has a cannon, but he can shoot. Like He's just pretty good at all of the things. And the question is, how ready is he now? Because it would be so nice. It would be so nice for Winnipeg if they could line him up with Neil Pionk, both Hermantown boys. They see each other at the, at the alumni games. It's a real thing. Um, and that would be a perfect pairing long-term. It's just that he might not be ready for a top four role. Like most college defensemen need some AHL seasoning in, in most seasons. And I continue to think that that in a normal series or in a normal season part of me would make the most sense for him. But because things are as they are and the roster sizes might be big, I think it would be easy for Winnipeg to keep him with the big club and work him in. Maybe third pairing some nights, maybe healthy scratch some nights, maybe top four some nights as well to try to, measure his development and, and not overwhelm him too soon right so you think that in a perfect world if we had an 82 game october to march season you would want him to play the next season in the ahl you think that's what would make the most sense all else being equal perfect world absolutely i'd want him to to just rip that i don't want to say rip that league apart because his his offense isn't such that he'd be he'd be absolutely rattling off the points but to excel at that level before moving on, on to the next one. I think that that would be the next logical step in his development. It happened to Neil Pionk. It happened to Tucker Pullman. Good players um, tend to need at least half a season or so. Right, totally. And so you think when we talk about player ceilings and when they're developed, so on and so forth, do you think between him and Hanola, we have someone within the organization now that can control our NHL power play unit? Control the power play unit? Not, no, I honestly don't. I think that, 
you know, even now, Villahanela doesn't have, he's not the number one defenseman on his power play. Uh, he plays secondary units in, in Finland in, in a league that's lesser than the NHL. And then similarly, Dylan Sandberg um, gets, has a lot of points for a college defenseman, absolutely, but it's not by being an elite power play distributor of the puck or, or having a cannon. It's really just um, being a, a player who moves the puck up the ice well and who's, who shuts things down in his own zone so that good things can happen when he's on the ice. Um, and so I don't think that the future has that power play quarterback unless Leon Gavanka at the AHL level can continue to his progression. He is just an exceptional uh, power play quarterback at the AHL level, really slick, great distributor, can see plays that not everybody can see developing um, and, and has that aggression, that kind of hunger to take the lane and to, to make that play. I, I don't think Villahanela quite has, despite being a brilliant passer. Um, I don't think Villahanela has that, that power play po aspect perfected quite yet. So then you're looking and you're, you're thinking at the NHL level, Neil Pionk. Well, it's the four right-handed, um, pardon me, a three right-handed forwards, Kyle Connor and Neil Pionk is, is what we've seen, right? That's how the Winnipeg Jets run their 1-3-1. And he doesn't look like he has a cannon. His pass across the line, it doesn't look like it moves particularly well. He's not the primary distributor from his spot. That's Blake Wheeler. And so you wonder, like, is he good enough? And then you look. And you see that in, in, in power play points per minute last season, it was Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, David Pasternak, Mika Zibanejad, and fifth, Neil Pionk. I saw so that. What? <laughs> every time he touched the puck, something good happened, even though it didn't look it like it at all. And so I'm torn. I think there's a lot of puck luck involved in that. I'm thinking that when he floated one on net, Kyle Connor got a tip on it that you know, you're not necessarily going to see work 10 times out of 10, but I think things worked out in Neil Pionk's favor. Similarly, I think that he was, you know, he was a secondary assist in a lot of situations as well, which might speak to puck luck too. But I'm not willing to say unequivocally that I'm right about that at this stage. Like this is, this warrants further investigation. What is Neil Pionk doing to be, and it was similar in New York the previous season as well. He was a five on five mess so to speak i mean everybody was on, on new york's blue line and yet he was an elite power play uh, producer for them too so something works out for him and i think it's a great case study like why why what's he doing yeah i don't know if, <laughs> how promising those answers will be if we ever got them but you know it's it's interesting and do you ever think that maybe people are expecting a little bit too much of him to fill maybe the quote-unquote Dustin Bufflin shoes, people are expecting the power to play to be as good as it once was with someone like that, even a true buck controlling the point? Or do you think he genuinely just doesn't look good because he just might not be that good? <laughs> well, I, I think that there's there's two things for me. Yes, 100%, I think people expect a lot of him because Bufflin put up a lot of points from there. And not only did Bufflin put up a lot of points from there, but the fact that he had the cannon, whether he's going to score from that range or not, stretch defenses like the penalty killing forwards would move a little bit higher on Dustin Bufflin than they do at Neil Pionk and for me the way that I see it is that by being that threat Dustin Bufflin opened up seams that Blake Wheeler could exploit I personally think that he got more passes through to Mark Shifley and Patrick Liney before and I don't have the data for this in front of me or to be able to back this up and tell you I'm 100% right about this but I think he had a better passing lanes because Bufflin was Bufflin, whether he was shooting the puck or not. And I don't think Neil Pionk opens up that same amount of space. There is this crazy, beautiful analytic in, in basketball called the gravity score. 
I don't know if you've ever come across this, where you can measure, because there's cameras 360 degrees around like a, a basketball court, and there's plenty of computer science in the world. So if a guard beats his guy in the NBA and takes a step towards the towards the basket, you, everybody on the court reacts to that. And help defense comes to that. People come in to try to offer help. You can measure, okay, well, if LeBron beats his guy, players' defenses move all of the way to LeBron. They move, uh, they move a ton because they need to. And if some nobody beats their guy, they might not get nearly the same amount of help defense. And you can see, like, they moved 20 less feet than, than if it had been LeBron. And basically what I'm saying is if we had a gravity score for Neil Pionk on the power play, I don't think he pulls defenses apart as much as, as Dustin Bufflin, say, would have. I think that's a really neat point because I'd never even thought of that, but Bufflin being a little bit more of a threat and people pulling off and then you have that lane from Wheeler to Shifley that worked so well for us a couple of years ago. So that's, that's interesting. Do you think we have any forwards on the team that have that quote unquote, I don't that cannon, that's what you keep calling it from the point that they could use that could be similar and have a forward quarterback in the power play? Um. I mean, the, the mind immediately goes to Patrick Laine because he shoots so well. But then, then it's a numbers game. I mean, he's going to be able to shoot better than Neil Pionk from the blue line. And so he'll probably score a little bit more. But nobody can shoot like he can from where he's, from the top of the circle. So you're going to lose goals that way as well. So I think that by moving him away from that kind of prime spot that he's in, you, you probably lose more than you gain. I don't know. You'd have to see it out. What I really would like to see, and I think, I think that Winnipeg, or at least Paul Murray, has acknowledged to me that offense – is more of a systemic issue than defense is right now. And I sincerely agree with that. I think Winnipeg's forwards not being, not creating chances at an elite level last year was the lesser talked about story that's probably more important going forward because I think the defense will get better personnel-wise. All to say, there's room for offensive tweaks. And I think what the best power plays are doing in the NHL right now is they're not dependent on one shooter. Like Patrick Laine, Winnipeg's power play, he's a shooter and that's it. Mark Shifley in the slot, he's pretty much a shooter and that's it. But if you look at Tampa Bay, Toronto, Edmonton, some of the elite uh, chance-generating power plays, players, when they receive the puck, they're passing threats or they're shooting threats. And it's not about exploiting this one option, the shooter, so much as moving the puck around, generating redirections, finding different routes to move that puck into the middle. And I think what I would like more than shuffling guys around Winnipeg's 1-3-1 is systemic changes that prioritize different types of chance generation. And so is there a guy for that? I think that's a systems thing. I would also, to end this monologue on Winnipeg's power play, sorry, I've been talking for a mile. Um, you need to find a way to get Nick Ehlers involved. And I have no problem if it's a five forward power play. Those zone entries will be worth it. He's a great shooter and a great passer as well. Winnipeg's second power play unit has been good as long as he's been on it as well. Um, so I think that there's lots of room to get a little bit more out of out of Winnipeg's already pretty good power play. Yeah, I totally agree. I think yeah, those are very encouraging points as well too. I think like yes, having a systemic problem is you know not ideal. Um, whereas personnel change, it's like oh, just get someone new kind of thing. But yes, like having that power play we have right now that isn't the worst in the entire league, and you still have Nick Ehlers who's not even on it, just means that it can get even better, right? So that's kind of encouraging I guess if you want to look for some more <laughs> positive points to take from that but no it's good um those those five forwards I saw on your Q&A today you had um someone was asking you about uh their 
I don't know if this is the exact term they use, but like basically their defensive ceilings. And I thought that was a really interesting point someone made. And it was like, is this a coaching issue or is this just simply you have guys who maybe aren't that defensively skilled and or knowledgeable? Yeah. So if I remember the question was, well, hey, you know, there's criticism, valid criticism about the defensive impact of a lot of Winnipeg star forwards. So Mark Shifley, for sure, this is emerging over the last year or so. His defensive metrics look bad. And and whenever I say that, people are like, well, you just have to watch. Well, I, I have a library of clips like I, you know, and they make them they, they make their way into my pieces as well. You can watch him lose his guy on a back check. You can you can watch Mark Shifley be out of position. Um, and then similarly, and I don't think people hold these guys in quite as high of an esteem, but, uh, you know, Kyle Connor, uh, Patrick Laine, I think those would be the key ones that you're thinking of. And the, the user also or the subscriber also mentioned Jack Roslovic as a defensive issue, let's say. Um, and the question was, well, if all of these star forwards struggle defensively, does that say something about the coach? Um, and I'm torn on that. Like, I, I can give you a much more three-dimensional answer because we're just having a conversation than I, I really felt in, in the hurried speed of that Q&A I was, I was able to give. But I think, I think that there's room for that. I have room for Paul Maurice to be uh, one of the reasons why Winnipeg's forwards don't have tremendous defensive impacts. And there's a couple of places I go that come to mind from that. And the first is that he, like many NHL coaches, really continues to believe in the center and the two defensemen are the core of your defense. I mean, that three-person wedge does the majority of the work. And I think the amount of responsibility given to wingers a lot of the time continues to be a lot less. Um, there are some defenses in the NHL where if a winger is the first person back, they take that center's role. Mark Stone used to do it in Ottawa. Mark Stone played with two rookies and had great defensive results because he was always the first guy back, played essentially a center's role. So there's an example of a, of a winger having a good defensive um, role or impact. Uh, and there's also different thresholds at which a winger is meant to help when things get broken down in, in a zone as well. Uh, some coaches want it sooner, some coaches want it later. I just think that there's more room in Winnipeg for all five people to be involved on the defensive side of the puck. So that's just a personal opinion. I don't know if I can, you know, lay out the math that proves that I'm right there. The other thing is that I've talked to Paul Maurice about Kyle Connor specifically. And, and Paul Maurice told me that, you know, he believes Kyle Connor is such a fast player. He has a great stick and he never shorts a back check. That's, that's the quote. Um, never shorts a back check. And, you know, you can run yourself through the video and it's, he is a, a really speedy player, but there are times he's not in, in the proper position. He's not a big player. He's not winning battles or shutting things down. If he does come back and he's the, the first forward back and in the slot or something like that, it's not a guarantee he's going to win that stick or, or win the body position to stop that scoring chance. And yet he's still a star player and deserves to be because his offense is so good. I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, w I felt like I was being sold on this elite defensive player when I didn't see one and I still don't see one. I, I see a great hockey player, but I don't, I don't know how you sell that that's a strength of his. He's not a Selkie candidate, let's say. Um, and, and maybe, just maybe, if, if Paul Maurice walks away and he's not just trying to sell me on it, but he deeply believes that Kyle Connor is like an above average to excellent defensive forward in the NHL, then maybe the standard isn't high enough. And I have time for that. I absolutely have time for that. I also have time for the fact that he knows what he's talking about 
way more than I do. He predicted Adam Lowry's rise before any of the analytics or anything else did as well, right? So these guys do know what they're talking about a lot of the time, even if I'm looking at it now and being like, I just don't see it. Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, it's interesting. And I've heard people sort of mention the fact that, okay, maybe Kyle Connor isn't the greatest defensive player. And I think we can sort of come to a bit of an agreement on that. But if you play him on a line that is so offensively powerful, he almost doesn't even need to play defense if you're able to control the puck in that zone. How do you think the Jets could manage that? Obviously, everyone needs to play defense at some point during a game. But do you have any specific line combinations in your brain that have that top scoring line, that offensively driven whatever line? Do you have an ideal combination that sort of agrees with that? Um, Let me take a minute to come up with the combinations. But the one thing for me is I don't care if a player plays defense while or plays offense well. What I care is if they create more than they give up. So, you know, if Kyle Connor has a success in the NHL by just scoring a metric puck ton of goals and he's good at it and he can keep doing that and Winnipeg outscores the other team when he's on the ice, I do not care if he can outmuscle Ryan O'Reilly in the slot that, you know, as long as you get more than you, you give up. And I think what started to happen in Winnipeg is, and this isn't a Kyle Connor thing, this is a Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler thing, which I, I looked up recently. 2017, 2018, when Shifley and Wheeler were together, Winnipeg outscored its opposition at five on five by something like 13 goals over the course of the season. It was insane. They were dominant. They were excellent. And you know Kyle Connor was their winger for most of that. They outs- In 2018-2019, that surprising second-half drop-off and then the, the loss to St. Louis, well, in that season, Shifley and Wheeler together were, I think it was plus two at five-on-five. Five. And in this most recent season, they played only part of the season together. It was plus one at five-on-five. Five. Plus two and plus one, they're fine. They're decent. But Shifley and Wheeler are meant to be the two towers that make Winnipeg's offense hum, right? These are the superstars. And if those two players are not outscoring their opposition by a lot, then it doesn't matter how good they're, they're finishing. Something's happening that's not right. They're either not creating enough or they're giving up too much. And wherever you're going to find more efficiency from them, whether it's they need to play better defense, they need to create better, or you just need to mix them up, I think that we're at the point where we, we can say that some of Paul Maurice's traditional lines just don't work. Um, uh, and, of course, Winnipeg's defense was what it was last year, so everybody's numbers will have been worse. All to say in terms of like a perfect fix line wise, I don't have one because I think that um, I don't think that there are enough great defensively impacted forwards in Winnipeg. And I, I like Paul Sasky a lot. I think Nick Ehlers is a brilliant winger. It has a crazy uh, impact on the game just by being able to move the puck up the ice as well as he does. Um, and there's so many things to like about so many forwards. I think for me, it's about usage. And you know, Paul Maurice is going to use Cop and Lowry's that checking line. You know that Shifley is going to be leaned on in a big minutes, all situations. He won't be able to get away from the best defenses. And so those roles seem to me that there's no way around them. And for me, then, I want Shifley's line to be all offense. I don't care if it can check. So I want Shifley and Connor to be together. And then that third forward could be, if you're looking for balance and three scoring lines, it could be someone, it could be Jack Rosovic, but more likely I'm thinking it's Patrick Laine. And then you have Ehlers, Stastny, and Wheeler who conceivably can play tough minutes in a big role and score two. And it's it's awkward to have a line that you really don't believe is going to be able to check against the best lines in the league in Shifley, Connor, and, and Laine, let's say, on that top line. But I think you can hide that if you have that Stastny and that Lowry line 
in a way that works. But I'm not sure. I think Winnipeg could use, I mean, every team could use, I say Winnipeg could use a Mark Stone. I'll say that much. Oh, every team sure. could, yeah. Stanley and Roslovic, sorry. No, just kidding. I think, and I think it's an important thing that people always, it's like, oh, here's the fix, here's the fix. If there was an easy fix, it's like, oh, this is a Stanley Cup lineup right here with this organization. It would have been done already, and it hasn't been done because it's not there probably, right? So I think um, that's an interesting point. I actually don't know if I'd ever thought of a Connor, Shifley, Roslovic line before, but that that top six right there that you just gave, that's pretty, uh, that's a nice line. <laughs> um do you think that there's a reason that Shifley and Line are not the Shifley and Wheeler duo that people kind of, I phrased that poorly. Do you know what I'm getting at? The fact that pe- that it's always, you know, the right wing Wheeler, center Shifley, that's the combination from 2017. Do you think there's a reason that it's not elite goal scorer Patrick Line? Well, there are a couple of reasons that I can think of and, I, I think visually, Shifley and Wheeler play similar styles of game. You know, they're, um, I mean, Line is a big body too. So let me be careful about my phrasing. But I was going to say the Shifley and Wheeler are big bodies who like to play, I want to call it a perimeter game. They do a lot of cutbacks, a lot of cycling, and then they find the timing to pass the puck in the middle. And that used to work perfectly with Kyle Connor finding the right time in the right seams and things like that. Um, and I think Mark Shifley is going to be a good offensive player no matter who he plays with. He's, one of the best players on the planet in the offensive zone, in my opinion. Um, But I also think that in 2017-18, when Shifley, Connor, and Wheeler, but Shifley and Wheeler were outscoring their opposition by as much as they were, this is what they know. This is their memory. They know that they dominate. That's the lesson that they learned. So why are they going to be in a hurry to mix that up? So if if they do mix that up, uh, and and in the time that Shifley and Line played together, they're not necessarily dominating automatically by themselves. I think that there's just a human tendency to be like, hey, that thing worked for me. It's good. That's a story I know. Um, and and I think that there's a lot of desire there, not just from Shifley and Wheeler, but from the coaching staff as well. The best team that Paul Marie has ever coached in his life is the 2017-18 Winnipeg Jets, and that was anchored by a dominant Shifley and Wheeler. So as long as you believe you can go to that well, it's going to take – it's going to take that thing simply not working before you give up on the idea. Definitely a lag in perception from results and these sorts of things because you were able to count on them so dependably. Um, so I think that there's a lot of psychology that goes into it beyond just uh, just cranking the metrics, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think that's a, that's an interesting point to bring up. While we're talking about um, our center, Mark Shifley, let's... Um, and I feel like we haven't talked too much about um, we haven't even had you on the podcast since we got a new center in Cole Perfetti in the draft. Um, walk me through that draft and kind of how you feel about, you know, our big guy that we got at number 10 and then the rest of the picks that maybe are not as encouraging or maybe to you they are. I don't know. I'm not an expert and you are more so than I am. So what's kind of your your draft uh, recap perspective? I know it's been a while, but <laughs> yeah. Um... My opinion, first and foremost, if you get a big win with your first round pick, uh, as I believe Winnipeg did with Cole Perfetti, the draft is generally a success, right? Nobody's ever going to call the 2016 draft a failure outright. They got Patrick Laine. The Logan Stanley trade happened. You lost value there. But at the most important position, you got the best player available at number two, in my opinion. I know there's, there's lots of different arguments for different players, but you get the top one right. 
the rest is just margins, right? That's, that's how I see it. If you look at a draft value curve, the value is more intense up top, and then it's exponential. You'll lose value the, like in an awful hurry. Um, so for me, that first pick is the most important by far. I think that the draft broke just right. I, I, I think that Winnipeg got very fortunate that Cole Perfetti was available. I feel very confident that the Jets didn't think he was going to be. They had some, they had some potential fallers in mind, but it wasn't him. I, I think that they believed themselves to be very fortunate. And again, I think that they are. Uh, I rate him extremely highly from, from the moment he was cut from Team Canada last year. Last year, it was December 13th, I think, something to that effect. Through the end of the regular season, nobody had more points per game, including much more highly rated players than than Cole Perfetti did. He just got angry and was on fire. Um, and I, I value his cerebral style of play so very much. I think that he automatically makes Winnipeg's draft day a win or at least a positive one. I don't like that they went into the draft with the prospect pool that they have and four draft picks and made four draft picks and weren't able to find a trade, a trade down to get more picks or a, a trade of a player for picks or something like that. Winnipeg's prospect pool is getting thin. Yes, some of the players are in the NHL already, but also some of them have been traded away. Picks have been traded away. Um, and I think Winnipeg needs to restock in a really big way. I don't think that they, they didn't get the volume, that's for sure, even if they got the quality in Perfetti. Daniel Torgerson, Anton Johansson, uh, Tyrell Bauer. I actually like all of those players in the ranges that they were taken at. Um, I like the idea of a giant finish power forward with some skill on his stick. I like Anton Johansson is a, is a, is a hilarious player to me in that he's so small um, that nobody, there's so many people who don't think that he has a chance to make the NHL based on being, I think it's something like five foot nine, uh, one fifty, something to that effect. Don't quote me. I mean, weights and heights change all the time, but he's so sublimely skilled. He's got a first, he's a first round talent. So if you're going to take a late round pick or a mid round pick, I say go for the home run. If he can find a way to make to the next level, you can't teach um, the, some people say you can't see teach size. I don't think you can teach people to think the game that like he can, but I have to admit that all, my opinion, all three of those guys is just me aggregating things that I've read from our Corey Pronman or Scott Wheeler or Bob McKenzie or, or, or otherwise. So it's not as though, Oh, and then from talking to scouts since then now, you know, tell me about the player. Tell me about that. I, I can't tell you. I have a brilliant insight on, you know, end of draft pick Tyrell Bauer other than that I, I know that some people like uh like him to succeed if he gets into a different situation kind of deal right. Right, I trailed off I, I want to give you better than that but uh but that's that's my thought on the draft no oh, yeah and I think that's interesting too because people often talk about that 2015 draft and all those guys we got from there but that's they're all what 23 24 years old now so you're right the prospect pool is yeah it's getting a little thinner in there so when you only get four picks it's maybe even if they're good, yeah, that's an interesting point that you brought up about that because it's, yeah, you know, quality but not quantity, maybe, and the quality's so-so to begin with. So, I don't know, but, and that was pretty special when they got uh, Cheryl to do, announcing the number 10 pick. I thought that was a really great move and it was a really nice uh, way to sort of feel good about the organization on that day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, Crystal Howarchuk, I, I just... Crystal, like, oh my God. I said Cheryl. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, there were some legendary Winnipeg Cheryls as well, but I just like... The 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 touch by the organization on that one was very classy. And actually, in, in the summer too, I mean, you hear Mark Chipman talk, and I think this is one thing that they, they've quietly done well, 
is is legacy. You know, Mark Chipman said even long before this, Dale Howardchuck was going to be the one who got the statue first. And you can look back at some great Winnipeg Jets hockey players throughout history um, that could have been that person based on contract sign, points, goals, all that sort of thing. But Dale Howardchuck was the quintessential Winnipeg Jet in terms of his production, but also his person, person, persona, I guess is what I want to say, and his passion and all of those sorts of things. So um, not only do I think that they got it right by having Crystal kind of announce the pick at 10, I think that focusing on, on Howard Chuck's legacy as being that person that you celebrate instead of, uh, well, I, I won't even get into the instead of, but I, there's just such a clean, celebratable legacy that Dale Howard Chuck has. I think Winnipeg has treated that situation as well as, as you could possibly get so far. That's good. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so one other thing that I feel like we haven't talked about at all, almost is this whole idea of these divisions that were conditionally released yesterday, our Canadian division. I think you're excited about the Canadian division, right? I think I remember you saying that somewhere you're looking forward to it. I say bring it on. Like I, I, as a short-term thing, I want to believe that in a world where in the future there's Canadian teams in all different divisions, all, they all have success, they're all making deep playoff runs, and there's a Canadian Stanley Cup winner. Like I, I write about hockey, but I, that is an opinion. That is a, I will be cheering for Canadian teams in the playoffs for always and for all time. Um, so I want that. But this year, to have them all play against each other, I think every Canadian team has an interesting storyline going. You have the Elias, Elias Pettersson show – and Hughes in Vancouver, there's there's some really exciting, thrilling young players over there. I think that team's on the rise, but they lost Markstrom. Calgary is in this weird transition where they have the horses, or at least they should, um, forwards-wise, but their possession numbers took a huge hit last year. New coach, now they've got a star goaltender. If he can do what he did, that team's on the rise. You have the mcdavid Drysaddle factor. That's always a good story. Toronto, the Dubas situation, and... The, the spreadsheet team and, and all that and all that money that they spent on Marner's Matthews and um, all that top heavy money that they spent. It's just, it's an entirely unique way of building a team. They're also fun to hate. Um, Montreal spending all that money on Josh Anderson. That's uh, ha still having Carey Price. Is he ever going to win? Um, there, there's a lot of stories there. And then Ottawa is sort of falling apart as they have, but then it seems like the rebuild is going okay, at least in all those draft picks they got, and we'll, we'll see what becomes of them. I think every team is compelling, and I think that other than me thinking Toronto probably leads the division and Ottawa probably is last, I think that there's a lot of room in the middle for just about anything to happen and for rivalries to develop and for a little bit of hate and, and a little bit of familiarity and all that stuff too. So, like, I want it. I want to see it. I want to, like, play it in a series of seven-game series is for all I care. Schedule it that way. Make them hate each other. Oh man, can you imagine like a battle of the Kachucks and then you have your oh, more goalie fights? Who knows what's going to happen? That's that's <laughs> yeah, oh, I can't imagine. So you think Winnipeg falls middle to bottom of the pack? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've gone on record a couple of times. I'm going to stick to this now saying third to six is my range, but I'm leaning on the bottom end of that range. I really think that they Winnipeg is going to be better this year, in my opinion. I like the Paul Sassany acquisition. I really do. I think a full season of Dylan DeMello will quietly have a much bigger impact than a lot of folks are, are, are suggesting. However, hole on top four defense still exists. And you're going to lose goal differential just by Connor Hellebuck being human. Like Connor Hellebuck could have a good season as opposed to a best-in-the-world season. 
and Winnipeg is going to lose goals even if they play better. So I think that you're going to see modest improvement as a team and maybe similar results to last year. I think the Jets are a bubble team and they're in the mix as opposed to a surefire return of the playoffs. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like that's kind of been almost a recurring theme. It's like, oh, bubble team, like not shitty enough for a rebuild, but also not anywhere near a top tier kind of team. Do you foresee that kind of changing in any way, any time in the next? Like, do you think we're going to get better before we get worse or the opposite? What do you? <laughs> I think the team gets better before it gets worse. And I I think I, I believe that because, um, you know, line A healers, Connor, still improving. Um, but mo- more than anything, I think that the biggest holes are fixable. That top four defenseman slot, okay, a year from now, you have Hanela and Sandberg a step ahead of where they are now. And I genuinely believe, you know, you can't predict how prospects go with, with perfection, but I genuinely believe both of them have it in them to be a top four defenseman someday. And so I think it's viable to bet that you can add them to, to Winnipeg's three guys that they have signed or will have signed when, when Pionk um, signs this summer. Uh, I, I believe that the forwards are good. I believe that Cole Perfetti is a, is a great next prospect to have. And I know that Paul Stastny may not necessarily stick around, but I still think it's a good and, and, and mostly diverse group. I think it could use some sandpaper. I guess what I'm saying is that there are obvious holes, but the holes that are the most obvious are fixable. You know, right. And I think Winnipeg's pipeline has it in. And I think that Winnipeg is going to do everything in its power. This is where the loyalty of the organization comes in. You have four seasons of Wheeler, Shifley, and Halibut right now. And, and DeMello, I believe, as well. But I don't think he's part of that core, core group. There, I believe the organization is going to do everything in its power to win during this window and probably sooner than later. So position year, those next two are going to be key. And whether they're able to get you know, into contention status or not, I think the team will be looking at adding players. I also think that those defensemen and, and Cole Perfetti are going to have a lot to say about Winnipeg getting a little bit better over these next couple of seasons. Right. And I think that's an interesting point, kind of a loyalty thing and be like, hey, Wheeler, you've been up here in the cold for nine years. Let's try and get you something kind of here. Um, do you think that that would involve a blockbuster trade involving Patrick Laine? I think it could. I really think it could. I, like yeah, Winnipeg is an that. imbalanced team. It's an imbalanced team forwards to defenseman-wise. Um, it's a top-heavy team that way. But it's also an imbalanced team in that the forwards are skill-heavy and sandpaper light. I personally believe... I personally believe that you can win that way as long as they're good. Um, and I also believe that you don't trade a 22-year-old entering the prime of his career who's already done what Patrick Lanny has done and has made progressive steps as a five-on-five. Like, there are so many things that he does well, and there's so many reasons to believe. He's going to have the best center he's ever played a whole season with. Um, he's at a, a prime stage in his development, all of those sorts of things. But at the end of the year, he's going to have arbitration rights. And he's going to be two seasons away from unrestricted free agency eligibility. So he could, Truba, so to speak, elect for arbitration. Winnipeg would then have to choose two years or one year. They're not going to choose two years to walk him right to unrestricted free agency. So they'll choose one year. And then that means not this summer, but next, he'll need a new contract and be one year away from unrestricted free agency. Like these, I'm not saying this is absolutely what happens, but I'm saying that this is in Line's toolkit. And if he's looking to maximize his free agency payday, which I think makes sense. Um, he has the options to sort of begin to force his hand in that general direction. And if you're Kevin Shovel Day off and you think that that's happening, then you have to explore the trade. You have to explore the trade market, even if you know it's going to suck. 
Um, so I think that Patrick Laine plays in Winnipeg this year. I don't think that it's all BS that these rumors are existing. I think that there's something to that. And I think that once we get to kind of summer and whether he elects for arbitration, whether there's a long-term deal, that's when I think we're going to get resolution uh, because Winnipeg's going to need to make up its mind and probably won't appreciate being painted into a corner like they were with Truba. Right. The point you bring up too, because yeah, it's almost like deja vu when you get your, you know, very talented player that is not maybe wanting to, for whatever reason, that's maybe none of our business to be here. And then you kind of feel your hand was forced when you make the trade and maybe you don't maximize the value. And someone like Patrick Liney, that's like a true betrayed on steroids, right? Like your, your value from that is going to be huge if it ever comes to that. So interesting and only time will tell, I guess, but <laughs> even if he loves Winnipeg, the restricted free agency, just get paid more while being here. Like everything, you know, the incentive is there, I think to maximize your payday if you're Patrick Liney. Yeah, yeah, totally. And especially when you know a maximized payday for you is over $10 million. <laughs> Look for it, I guess, right? So, oh, it's interesting. And I think there's all kinds of, I feel like, you're right, like, there's probably some legs to this rumor. But I also feel like when there's no hockey going on, people like to speculate a lot about what's going on and sort of make things, you know, maybe bigger than they are or kind of choose what they want to highlight. Um, so while there has been kind of no hockey, have, what sort of stories have you been focusing on telling that maybe you either don't have time to do during the season or maybe that are kind of coming to the surface now that people are looking for things? Like what sort of stuff have you been talking about or uh, thinking about talking about soon without any spoilers? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one that one that's out that, um, that I really felt like, you know, spoke to the heart was a story about Neil Pionk getting involved with um, with an organization in the States that helps fund youth hockey for um, people of color with financial needs. And um, what, what the program does is it looks at, you know, some fairly high-end young players, like children's age players who are playing really well, um, and funds their entry into whether it was hockey programs or really high-end secondary schools, like private schools, essentially. Um, thinking that even if this player doesn't go on to, you know, an NHL career or an AHL career or whatever, as long as they can get through a really good high school, then there's good post-secondary in their future and, you know, likely a sustainable long-term income at the end of that. I mean, I think that's, that's the, the goal. Um, and, so Neil Pionk got involved with with that organization this summer, and you know not only contributed a little bit of money to help uh, uh, help a kid uh, continue with his minor hockey programs with the hopes of getting into a, a really nice high school, um, but he's also began to serve as a bit of a mentor. And there's a relationship building between Neil Pionk and a young man named Braden Howard, which uh, is just really sweet. This kid is a phenomenal human being. Like he volunteers at um at a at a at a is it a nursing home or a nun's nursing home and reads bingos to elderly people like it's the, the kid is a is a it's just a sweetheart through and through um and and also a defenseman and talented and so neil pionk's begun this relationship so those are things that in the middle of a long season where you're talking about games and production and all that sort of stuff all the time you don't get a chance to to sink into and uh, you know I, I love being able to tell that one 
that's really special. I don't know if I even knew that one. That's really cute. And I think it sort of shows character of our players that, you know, not everything's always about hockey and you can sort of look at the person um, and, you know, be a fan of them as well as be a fan of the player. So that's, that's really cool. Um, so World Junior Camp is starting back up, I think this week sometime maybe it has already and Cole Perfetti did you happen to catch any of those world junior games in the past whatever I guess it was I guess it's been a month now since they played and have you watched him at all um in the world junior selection camp games so it began while I was 100% off screens uh rehabbing concussion stuff but um I I know he survived today's round of cuts, and I think he, he's a mortal lock to make the team. He, I, I really think he is, and it becomes a question of what role he plays because there's going to be so much talent available for Team Canada. I think he's going to play left wing, which I know Jess fans are always like, hey, we need a center. Please make him play center. Um, he split time in Saginaw between left wing and center even last season, so there's a little bit of both to his game. And I know even last night there was a, a Team Red versus Team White exhibition game. I didn't I didn't catch any of that. So I have no fresh eyes on Cole Prevetti at uh, at Canada's camp, other than and then knowing from some observers that you know he's a mortal lock to make that team, and uh, and hopefully we get to see him play at a really elite level. Yeah, World Juniors are always fun in that sense where it's like you know these guys are all going to be the best of the best in a couple of years, and it's cool. Do we have any other? prospects i know cole Perfetti is the only canadian one that's at a selection camp right now i don't know how the other countries are doing their whatever do we have any other guys who are eligible and or locks on making their country's teams i would say Ville Hanola for sure it's hard to believe he's just 19 years old still so he's you know i would say a lock on finland's team um and then henry nikonen i think is a is a really good bet but not a guarantee to make finland's team either um you know, he was thought of as a first-round talent heading into the 2019 draft. He had some crazy good international tournaments at the under-18, under-17 levels, I believe, um, and got onto a lot of teams' radar. But he missed most of that season injured. Um, he came back, played a full year last year after the Jets drafted him, dominated against junior-aged players in Finland, didn't have as much success against men in, in Liga, and now he's doing it kind of again, and he's just taking another step. So I think... Again, Henry Nicken and should be able to create some offense for Finland too. But Finland's program is so good right now. I'm not sure where he slots into it from, you know, in a depth capacity. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's good. I haven't um, heard too much about him. So that's neat that uh, you have a little bit of insight there on that. But um, so anyways, I feel like that kind of covers a lot of the um, subjects that I had written down. Is there anything new going on with you that you kind of want to share with everybody? I know a lot of our listeners are big fans of yours, and they're always keen to hear some of the things that you've been up to. Anything new and interesting, dog or not related? <laughs> oh, dear. What do I tell you? Um, you know, I've been remarkably pandemic lucky. I think I have to admit to the world that, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've had a roof over my head. My bubble is one person, and, and, uh, and it's been a, a great situation. My family's all healthy and well, all those sorts of things. All, all the key aspects are there. Um, and, and, yeah, what, what crazy updates can I, can I share with you? I'm not sure. I, I, I wish I had something. I wish I had a nice story to tell you right now. But, uh, but yeah, no, life is good. And, and, and when I came, I will say this, actually, if I could take an opportunity. If, um, when I came back to, to Twitter and to The Athletic just uh, after the concussion thing, there were just so many warm messages that, like, I don't think I've ever been more conscious of the fact that I write for a community or I, there's, like, a community of, of, of Jets folks. Um, and, 
And like during these times, that sort of like day-to-day music of like, okay, you log on, there's a conversation of some kind is, is weirdly restorative. Like I get energy from that. The fact that that exists is a good thing, even when it goes sour some days or whatever. So, um, so thank you, I guess you asked me how I am. Thank you is the answer. (laughs) Oh, that's good. And I think, yeah, people, they enjoy to hear it. I feel like, um, there's a reason that people had a lot of, um, nice things to say when you came back and it's because you you're good at what you do and you're kind with what you do and I think people really appreciate that so they're glad to to have you back on a Twitter feed that can sometimes be a little negative as you said so (laughs) thank you it's so warm it's so so warm that's good well thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and speak with me today I had a great time love learning new things from people who know so much so it's uh it was really awesome and I think we got some good information and people will be happy to hear some things from you. So thank you so much. I'm Kurt Gilback and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast. <laughs>